Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and bowl games have begun. We're going to get into a couple of the big winners from the weekend. But first, we've got Scout Stories, where Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham, is going to join the show to go through scouting the quarterback position. What are some of the toughest parts? What are the things that separates great from good at that position, the most important position in sport? We're going to get into a lot there with Ian. Really, really fun conversation, as always, there in Scout Stories at the top of the show. After that, we're going to transition to Saturday Scouting, where we've got our weekly takeaways with Dane Brugler, and we're going to look at his most recent, one of his more recent pieces covering the top 15 players at each position. And I want to kind of frame this discussion, trying to find the diamonds in the rough, trying to find the sleepers in those rankings. Who are the guys that could rise up the board or outperform their draft slot from those rankings? We're going to get into that with Dane Brugler in that segment. And then we'll wrap the show up with our draft mailbag. We're going to have a, a, a fun question, a fun topic there at the end from one of you listeners at home. As always, the best way to support the show is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. If you're not subscribed already, make sure you hit that subscribe button and you get this podcast sent to your phone, to your podcast device, wherever you listen twice weekly from now up through next April's NFL draft. That said, let's get into this. I'm excited to catch up here with Ian Cunningham for some scout stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for scout stories. Well, excited to be joined here by Eagles director of player personnel, Ian Cunningham for this week's scout stories. We're going to talk about the quarterback position and Ian, that's a lot to break down here at quarterback. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, Frank. So what is it that makes it at the, so hard to be able to project these guys from college to the NFL? A loaded question for the most important position <laughs> of all sports. So many variables, right? <laughs> so many variables. What are you looking for? What do they ask to do in college? Um, what is the coaching style? Uh, the players, um, you know, obviously the the talent on the field, but uh, what's he able to to uh how is he able to process um, all these? There's, like I said, so many different variables, but if, obviously one of the fun, uh, most fun positions to evaluate. When you look at uh, the the separating factors, the guys that uh, can you know be that true quote unquote franchise quarterback, what separates that guy from who would be seen as like a, a solid starter or a replacement level starter in the NFL? I think processing and confidence, um, mm. their ability to process. I think you can see it when you're evaluating a player um, on tape. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's certain teams in college that have maybe the stripe down the middle of their helmet. And so if you can zoom in or if you can watch the all 22 and you're, you're watching a quarterback, you can see them actually move their helmet and go through their progression and see if it can go fast, like quick. Um, and then they can make the quick decision and, and, and let the ball out. I think those are good things to look for. I like to look for, I like to look at the TV copy. Um, mm. There are times in which the TV copy, the, the, the camera can zoom in on the quarterback's face. And I like to look at the eyes of the quarterback, if they have those calm eyes, um, how they're able to just go through a progression and throw the ball. Um, the guys that kind of have the wide eyes and you can sense a little bit of, you know, uncertainty of where to avoid in the pocket, you know, those can, those can be a little bit cause for concern, but those are little things that I, I like to look for at the, that the quarterback position when, when evaluating the quarterback position. Uh, very early on during my time here in Philly, uh, where with the Eagles, I was going through some NFL films footage for something I was editing and there was a shot of Peyton Manning. He's looking right. 
and his mm-hmm. eyes are looking the opposite side of the field while, you know, while he's looking the other way and he just pulls and just pulls the trigger and right. just goes the opposite way. And it, that like threw me for a loop. So I was like, all right, like yeah. I can't even trust what I'm seeing from the, uh, from the, the, uh, the sideline angle in the all 22. And I think, and that's the, that's the beauty of, that's the cool stuff about the really, really good ones. They just know because they know that quarterback or safeties and linebackers, they're reading their helmets. And all he's trying to do is move the safety over a little bit more because he's you know he's going to have some space over on the other side of the field. He already knows what's going to what the route is, right? Mm-hmm. He's just trying to move it. And those are I think those little the little things that certain good ones do, great ones do. Uh, that's what you're just trying to you're trying to when you're looking at college guys, you're just trying to pick up on on subtle traits like that. What's the best piece of advice you've gotten from a mentor when evaluating quarterbacks? You got to watch a lot of tape. Uh, do your due diligence on their background um, their, their makeup, um, how they're coached, uh, listening to how coaches describe them, uh, how they are in the film room, um, how they are with their teammates. Uh, a lot of it has to do with, you know, I think we can see if a guy has the arm strength. I, I, I really don't like the term arm talent, but we can see the Mm -hmm. arm strength or we can see the accuracy on, on, on film. But I think uh, you're really trying to get what's between the ears mm-hmm. and um, that confidence, that calmness, that poise um, and, and adversity, you know, all those types of things that you're looking for to see if they were able to overcome how they done under pressure and uh, how teammates relate to them and how coaches coach them and how how much how much love that they have for them. What is it that you don't like about uh, arm talent? Uh, the, that uh, just, that adjective. The term. The term. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never. I've never really. I don't know what that is. Like I've. I've. I've arm. I feel like if you're a quarterback, you have to have arm. T- I get it. Arm strength. Sure. I just. I throwing from different planes or different arm slots. But like in my mind, uh, how many times a game are you going to use that? Yeah, you're going to have to do it sometimes. But mm. I don't know what that is. Like that's just. It's just sure. a, for me. I just. I just arm talent. I don't. I have yet to figure that one out. That's just what, sure. When you look at how the, your process has evolved, uh, what have been the, the biggest changes for you over the last uh, handful of years over the course of your career? The process of evaluating quarterbacks has yeah. evolved. Yeah, uh, there's a lot more information that's that's uh, given. There's a and you kind of have to decipher what's important and what's mm-hmm. not. Um, I think nowadays we can see we have access to these quarterbacks at such an early age. I mean. Mm-hmm. You can go all the way back to Elite 11, and and they, now everybody, you know, a lot of these quarterbacks, they go through the process, and uh, you can talk to their the coaches that coached them in high school or their their quarterback, you know, whisper in, in high school, and and you can go to you know who's training them at the combine or getting ready for their combine in their pro day, and there's just so much more access, um, and so just trying to figure out what matters and, and what doesn't, um, but at the end of the day, it's if he's got to be able to go out there and do it. And, uh, a lot of these guys have been on a big stage, you know, since high school. Uh, so I, I don't think it's, usually it's not the, um, the stage anymore, um, because everybody knows who they are, you know, with recruiting. So I think now it's just more trying to figure out the fit for you as an organization, as a team, as a city and, uh, and what you like in their skill set. When you have players like that, where you have, uh, so many, so much information, how hard is it to be able to decipher the good information from the, the not trustworthy. And, and at some point too, like, is it so much that it's like overwhelming and it's like over uh, paralysis by over analysis? Yeah. I think you could, you could get to that point. I think it could get to that point for sure. Um, but I think that's with every position now, right? Yeah. Because of the the access and the information in which we get. So 
I think we do a really good job. Our guys do a tremendous job of getting the background and just like the foundation pieces that we need to know about the player. And then the more information that we get, we just see if it aligns and if it continues to sing the same tune. And if that's the case, then usually that's that's what the player is or who the player is. Um, if you get a couple of different things and you start hearing more and more of a, a different thing, uh, it, it leads us to just, hey, do a little bit more research, do a little bit more investigating on, on certain things. But uh, again, that's every player. And that's just kind of how we go about uh, getting background. But that's that's just the nature of scouting now, man. You know, it's yep. just uh, the information's out there. It's It could be information overload at times. Well, Ian, uh, this has been awesome. Thanks once again for joining us here on Scout Stories on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, man. So awesome stuff there from Ian. Always great to catch up with him here on the show. And uh, just talking about all the different variables at that position. I think obviously that applies to all positions, but when you're a quarterback, uh, obviously that you're going to touch the ball in every single play, the variables are almost endless. And uh, I thought they just kind of skipping ahead to the end. I thought that was a really interesting nugget, just kind of understanding the, the evolution of the process as more and more data becomes available for scouting college players, whether you're talking about the GPS tracking data or all of the different analytic, you know, statistical measures that come into play. And there was actually a quote that I saw from the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning a few weeks ago uh, is the, the NHL team, the hockey team down in Tampa Bay, where he said bad, bad data is worse than no data. And just kind of looking at how, uh, look, there's all kinds of numbers out there, as I mentioned. So it's important to understand what is it that's sticky? What is it that carries over from college to the NFL? Or you can apply this to to free agency as well in the NFL, right? All kinds of uh, different ways of player acquisition. But I think when looking to the NFL draft, and that's something you, you may remember if you've been listening to this show uh, through the summer, uh, we had Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus on and just trying to find what are some of those metrics that are sticky from college to the NFL there are that usually travel with players from one level to the next. And so I thought that kind of getting into that topic with Ian, I thought was really interesting and just how much data there is out there and really just kind of comb through that and trying to find the stuff that's most important. I love the nugget as well from Ian uh, about trying to go through the TV copy and, you know, trying to find those shots where uh, you could zoom in on a quarterback's eyes. And, and look, there is a lot, that's what, what scouts will get from, from these live, uh, from the live viewings as well. It's not necessarily about what happens on the field. It's about the stuff off the field as well. And I know uh, different scouts and coaches will get that uh, from the TV copy as well as how, you know, the, the zoom ins on players on the bench and uh, interacting with teammates, how they react after bad drives and good drives and all kinds of things like that. So uh, you can obviously glean a lot uh, from the TV copy that you can't always get uh, from the film. But what do we always say here on the podcast? Understanding the limitations of the tape. That's a good Dan Hatman quote from a few seasons back here on this podcast. So really good stuff there from Ian. Obviously, we covered a lot. We're going to continue covering a lot here as we welcome in Dane Brugler. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, excited to welcome in my friend Dane Brugler here for Saturday Scouting. And Dane, uh, before we get into some of our game balls from this weekend, we got a a couple big names just announced for the Senior Bowl over the last few days. I want to hit on here uh, with you. They've added a a few names since our last pod, but two big ones, one on offense, one on defense. Quarterback Carson Strong from Nevada and pass rusher Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. We've talked about both guys a lot here on the show over the course of the season, but uh, now that Carson Strong uh, enters the draft and is heading to Mobile, uh, just overall thoughts uh, what he can do for himself down there next month. Can't wait to see him uh, in person, see how the ball comes off his hands. Uh, Cause on, on tape, it looks like he's got an above average arm strength. He's got a very confident arm. 
Um, you know, he's a, he's a big kid and he's not the most mobile. And that's something that will be talked about at length, uh, especially when, you know, we mentioned the, the durability in the injury pass with his knee. Um, but he moves okay in the pocket. I mean, he, he can, he can shuffle, he can slide, uh, he can buy himself those extra half seconds that are so crucial. And so just to see him in person, you know, 20 big, 20 feet away from him, see how he moves, see how the ball comes off his hand. Um, I, I'm very, very uh, excited for that. It's a great opportunity for him. Uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, playing at the group of five level doesn't have a ton of uh, tape against high level defenses. And so this will be a chance to really kind of show off what he can do. And uh, it's a quarterback class that we're, you know, really we're, we're want someone to kind of raise their hand and say, okay, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm going to be, uh, you know, the quarterback that is really going to get the most attention leading up to the draft. And hey, m- maybe Carson Strong can be that guy uh, as he uh, goes to Mobile during practice. And we talked about this with Jim Nagy last week here on the show. Uh, I know you have to be excited to be able to see all of these. I mean, almost every single one of the big names in this quarterback class right now is slated to go to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Matt Corral from Ole Miss, the only one, uh, just because he, he doesn't have the eligibility to get down there. But when you look at Carson Strong and Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, you go right down the list. Everybody that's a, that has made themselves available for this draft, uh, the only one we're still waiting on is Sam Howell. But everybody else uh, heading down there, I mean, that's it's going to be a huge week. Uh, when it comes to how this NFL draft is going to play out. Yeah, and, and I think because, you know, in the past, we've always kind of been, um, you know, a little scared to talk about them too much because there's always a dropout or, you know, but in this year's quarterback climate with, with uh, this draft class, it, it's so neck and neck with all these guys that, I mean, drop out at your own peril. Uh, you know, it, it, this is an opportunity to go and compete. And, you know, you, you can... Sure, you can say, yeah, I've put enough on film the last three, four years, or you could go and compete next to these other quarterback prospects that are really good and say, hey, this is why I should be the first quarterback uh, on your on your draft board. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys. You mentioned Sam Howell. If he does declare, uh, he will be playing in the bowl game coming up here. And if he does declare after that, because he has graduated, he will be eligible as well. So that'd be, uh, you know, just kind of take it up another notch with, with all these quarterbacks if, if Howell ends up going as well. And then I think when you look at Jermaine Johnson, it's another really interesting case because it's almost for the opposite reason, though. Jermaine Johnson, uh, some first-round buzz, but he's got such a small sample size just doing it this year for Florida State after transferring from Georgia. Uh, When you look at the rest of the pass rushers in this class, a lot of the edge guys – Majority of them are juniors, those top guys, right? So you look at Thibodeau and, uh, you know, when you get through the rest of that list, the, the car laughs of the world. Uh, we don't know if Aiden Hutchinson is going to end up in Mobile. My guess is probably not. Um, but I think when you look at Jermaine Johnson, it's a good opportunity for him to continue to kind of build that momentum coming off of a, a really strong final season. Yeah, lead the ACC in tackles for loss, lead the ACC in sacks, lead the ACC forced fumbles. He was a team captain this year. Uh, despite only being in Tallahassee one season. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy that at Georgia, you know, people will say, oh, well, why he run from competition? Why It wasn't really that. It was just to get a, a more chances to be on the field. Georgia subs so much on that defense because they, they, they were able to. They have the volume of players that can get on the field and contribute. And you, you only need Jordan Davis on the field for 20 snaps a game and that's that's going to be impactful so uh for jermaine johnson it was more about getting more opportunity to be the alpha on that defense he he as a junior at georgia he averaged 27 snaps a game 
as a senior for Florida State, he averaged 61.3 snaps per game. So more than double what he was doing at Georgia. And again, that wasn't a talent issue. It was more just uh, a usage issue and what the coaches believe in there uh, in Athens, which obviously works for them uh, as they're a playoff team this year. So Jermaine Johnson, uh, you know, he's a chance to keep, you know, continue that momentum in Mobile, show that, you know, he can be one of the first pass rushers off the board, maybe in the first round. Uh, the get off isn't explosive necessarily, but the length, the agility, uh, the active hands, he can be disruptive as both a pass rusher and a run defender. Uh, to me, I think he's an every down starter in the NFL. Yeah, a guy that is, like I said, just continue to build a lot of momentum uh, out of this senior season. He'll look to continue that down in Mobile. Uh, let's get into this weekend in college football. The, the, the bowl games got underway. We previewed a lot of those games late last week. And we talked about a lot of those games late last week. Now, uh, let's get into some of the the winners from the weekend in bowl games. And uh, I'll let you start things off. Who's the guy that really stood out to you from the bowl games that we got to see this weekend? Well, yeah, it's a little bit of a curveball because he wasn't in a bowl game, but he was in the FCS playoffs. Uh, that's Troy Anderson, Montana State. Uh, another performance where he had double-digit tackles, uh, helping Montana State beat South Dakota State. Uh, and advance to the FCS uh, state championship game uh, coming up next month in, in Frisco, Texas. So Troy Anderson's a guy we've talked about before. Uh, originally, uh, East West Shrine Bowl uh, acceptance uh, or invitee and accepted, and then Senior Bowl came in and uh, stole him away. And so uh, another guy that's on the rise. And I think the more people dig into Anderson, uh, I mean, we've been talking about him for a couple of months now, but the more people dig in and really watch his tape and understand his background and find out more about him, I think the more excited they're going to get. This is a, a, a player who was all state everything in high school, uh, you know, won the 100 meters and uh, in track. He's 6'4", 235. Uh, he won a state title in basketball. He was all conference. And then he, he was a quarterback, uh, quarterback and safety on the football team, leading his football team to a state championship as a senior. Goes to Montana State, play running back initially. Then they move him to linebacker, then the quarterback, then the linebacker. And I mean, just he did a little bit of everything. Uh, and, and there's still some, because of that, all the position switches and he wasn't able to focus on one thing. Uh, there are areas of his game where he's still raw uh, in terms of take on skills, in terms of some of the spacing issues. Needs to do a better job feeling routes around him. Uh, needs to be a better finisher as a tackler. But when you're talking about a guy that's 6'4", 235, long limb, big frame, uh, fast as heck. I mean, this guy ran a 10'8", 100 meters in high school, and he still has that speed. Uh, he's going to run in the four fives at the combine. So when you just have the tools, uh, that alone is going to get you looks as a possible top 100 draft pick. So I'm excited for more people to find out about Troy Anderson. Uh, check out the FCS or the uh, yeah the FCS title game in Frisco, and then uh, Senior Bowl if you have not checked them out yet. Yeah, they'll be taking on uh, North Dakota State, and I'm going to talk a little bit about one of their best, best players here uh, a little bit later. But uh, I want to hit on uh, Bailey Zappi. Big win for Western Kentucky, their first uh, bowl game win. Uh, in the program's history. So uh, big congrats there to the Hilltoppers. And I think when you look at Zappi, six touchdowns, no picks, uh, sets the college football regular season record for the amount of touchdowns thrown in a regular in a season. Uh, and I think that kind of speaks to, number one, his mastery of that offense. It, he's been with the same offensive coordinator going back to his days uh, as a freshman with Houston Baptist. They all transfer. When, when he got promoted uh, to be the offensive coordinator with Western Kentucky, he followed uh, his offensive coordinator. They brought along a couple other players as well, including uh, wide receiver Jared Stearns. And uh, just kind of watching Belly Zappi, 
he's an intriguing player in this quarterback class. He's, he's going to be outside that group that we discussed, right? I mean, the, the, all those big names that we discussed as potential first round players. But I think when you look at uh, his total skill set, you know, look, he's just, he's a shade over six foot one. He's 220 pounds. Uh, and he's not going to wow you with the, the physical tools, but uh, this kid can manage a pocket. He's got a quick release. He's athletic or he's accurate. Uh, I really like his touch of, at all three levels of the field. He doesn't have a, the biggest arm, and that's never going to blow you away. Uh, but this is a guy that has really, I mean, his it, the, all the reports about how smart he is from a football standpoint, I think that shows up on film with just how well he is in tune to this offense. It is a pure progression read offense, and so right. he's going to have to get a little bit better when it comes to reading defenses at the NFL level. But as we've talked about many times, uh, it's not about what you did in college. It's about what you can handle moving forward. And I think with uh, his reported football intelligence, that FBI, you would say, okay, we're, we could project. It might take him some time, but we think he can get there. I think he's got the tools to stick in the league for a long time. He's fascinating. Um, and, and, you know, you, you covered it well in terms of, you know, just the background with uh, Zach Kitley, who was that Texas tech. He was in that quarterback room with Pat Mahomes and Cliff Kingsbury uh, over there in Lubbock for five years takes that offense, that air raid offense, and puts a few different touches on it and goes to Houston Baptist and then to Western Kentucky. And now he's actually going back to Texas Tech as the offensive coordinator uh, for next year. But, you know, talking to scouts about Zappi, the question is, okay, is Bailey Zappi just so, uh, you know, ingrained with this offense that he knows it like the back of his hand and that's, that's why he's able to be so successful? Or is it that he's just that brilliant that he's going to be able to pick up any scheme? And I mean, you mentioned it; it is a pure progression uh, type of offense. And so when he has to do, a, uh, you know, is asked to go one to two to three, make left to right reads, use the whole field, uh, you know, read defenses pre-snap, post-snap. How is that going to be able to? Is he going to be able to handle that when everything's so much faster in the NFL? That's what NFL teams are going to have to try and figure out, and that's where. Uh, you know, going to the senior bowl and the pre-draft process. That, that's where that's going to be such a big part of it when coaches get involved and really try to understand the kid. But uh, yeah, he, he really is an interesting quarterback prospect that, you know, you hear comparisons to, uh, you know, Case Keenum and, you know, it, there's a lot of different comparisons sure. out yep. there for him. And I, I think to me, that's the one that makes sense the most. Yeah, like um, you know, Case Keenum's a guy that has started in this league. Uh, you know, he's been more of a backup than a starter, but you know, he he's a guy that has been around for for ten years, and I think Bailey Zappi can do the same. So let's get into our, our next topic here, and that's our film room recap, guys that we've studied on film over the last week uh, that have caught your eye. I'll let you go first because uh, I want to kind of uh, go nuts here on, on my player, my my choice. Uh, all right, so I'm going to go with I'm going to stick with linebacker uh, Jojo Doman uh, from Nebraska, who. He, he's really uh, initially I wasn't overly excited about him. And then the more I watched him after that Ohio state game, I was like, okay, I need to really kind of dive into the tape and figure him out. And cause he plays a hybrid nickel role for, yep. for Nebraska where he's basically uh, you know, he's not, he, he's not in the box. I mean, he's out playing basically as a slot corner yep. uh, or a slot DB. And, you know, so he play, covers a lot of space and he does it fairly well for a guy that's, his size. Um, I mean, he is linebacker size, but he covers a lot of area and he does, he's, he's fluid. He, he moves well, he's changing directions above average, uh, but he looks like a linebacker. And so just trying to figure out, okay, what's his role at the next level. Um, and, and that's where I think, you know, is he strictly a sub package guy 
Um, you know, I, I think the durability, his medical background is going to play a part as well. But he, he's a really, really uh, intriguing player because I, I think the athleticism, the anticipation, the versatility, I mean, he checks all of those boxes. And so, uh, you know, who kind of reminded me of, and this is like size wise, it doesn't make any sense because just looking at them, they look very different. But role wise, I think stylistically, he reminds me a lot of Jabril Cox, you know, from last year because sure. of the way they can hold up in coverage, the way they can cover the entire field. And there's some inconsistencies versus the run, but asking to play in space, a lot of zone, uh, just has a natural feel for it. And so I think he could be, you know, kind of like Jabril Cox, a third, fourth round pick, a guy that comes in as maybe that fourth linebacker tries to, as he tries to find exactly what role he's going to play in the NFL. But uh, Jojo Doman's a, a really, really intriguing prospect. And he helped himself this year. I mean, he was going to the Shrine Bowl a year ago up until he took that extra year of eligibility uh, from the NCAA. So goes back, earns his way up, uh, ends up going to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I actually wrote down, it's funny, and it's not necessarily that I think that JoJo Doman's going to be a safety, um, but right. I actually compared him to Andrew Winger. Uh, when Winger was coming mm-hmm. out of, was he Wyoming, Wyoming. or Montana? Yeah, Wyoming. Wyoming. He, uh, Winger started games for, for Jacksonville this year. It hasn't gone particularly well, but uh, I think when you look at jo- uh, JoJo Doman, I think that there are some similarities there. Uh, he's an undersized linebacker, and you mentioned where he plays. He's going to be an older prospect, and that's the thing. We're going to say this a lot about a lot of guys this year because of that yeah. extra year. I mean, he'll be a 25-year-old rookie, um, but uh, this is, I, I agree. He's got an interesting skill set to kind of project forward, um, especially with his background as a special teamer with those tools, right, with that speed. Uh, this is a guy that's been a core four guy. He played uh, almost 500 special team snaps coming into the season. He's obviously poured more on top of that. So uh, this is a guy that's accomplished in that third phase of the game. Uh, a really interesting uh, player profile. I'm going to go over to the other side of the ball. Uh, I'm going to go to the FCS spot. I'm going to go to Christian Watson, the wide receiver from North Dakota State. We've talked about him a little bit here on the show. Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl came on and broke him down a couple of months ago. 6'5", 208 pounds, and he is going to the Shrine Bowl. Dude, he's going to be one of the best players there, man. He is so fascinating because of that height, weight, speed combo. He has got really impressive juice out of the blocks uh, when you talk about 6'5", 208. And so, uh, you know, I wrote down a bunch of names as I was watching him, you know, and I think he's kind of, you know, somewhere on that spectrum. And it's, it's just, there's a, a wide variety here, but like Chase Claypool, DJ Chark, Miles Boykin, Mac Hollins. And I think you kind of like say like, all right, where is he in that group there? There are obviously different layers there, but there to me, when you look at those guys, those guys all went anywhere from round two to round four. And that's because at six, five, two Oh eight, you don't get guys that run this way. And not only that, but outstanding, he was an outstanding kick returner. And that kind of speaks to that speed. He's an outstanding after the catch. He's been a jump ball guy. Uh, he's been extremely productive. He caught you know, a, lot, a ton of passes from Trey Lance a couple of years ago, but that production has continued throughout the course of his career since Lance, uh, since Lance left uh, Fargo. So I, I think when you look at this kid, um, at that size, with the way that he moves, I find it hard to believe that he's outside of the you know the fourth round. Like uh, to me, like he's anywhere in day two, very early day three. That that profile is just really really intriguing. Yeah, his dad played safety in the NFL, so yep. you know there, there's pedigree there. Um, and yeah, watching uh, Trey Lance and studying his tape, you know, obviously. Th- th- Christian Watson is a guy that uh, flashed uh, on, a, on a, you know, on a different level than the other receivers. I mean, he just looked like he was uh, a different level of athlete, uh, a guy that, you know, we'd be talking about here in a few years. And, you know, here it is time to talk about Christian Watson, who uh, I agree. I mean, when you look at this year's wide receiver class, I mean, he's, he's gotta be the top FCS guy, right? I mean, I don't. I don't and Ezard, uh, Jaquez Ezard from uh, San Jose. Oh, yeah. 
your, your boy Ezra is right. right. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's, I don't think that's, that's out of bounds at all to say he belongs somewhere in the top four rounds and I, the shrine game will really be his opportunity to, to show that. And, and you know, something that uh, has come up a lot talking with, uh, you know, just teams about the wide receiver position this year. I think they're really excited about the top 100, uh, you know, especially with these juniors talking about, you know, Garrett Wilson and Jamison Williams, Tra- uh, Traylon Burks, Drake London, David Bell, um, you know, potentially some of these injury guys, Justin Ross, uh, Pickens, Mechie, uh, even some wild cards like Zay Flowers or Wandale Robinson. There's a lot of underclassmen receivers that are going to make this top 100 a really interesting wide receiver group. But the day three receivers, that's where I get a lot of eh, eh, not excited, not you know, kind of boring. A lot, not a lot of these, there's not a lot of excitement about the day three receivers this year when talking to scouts. Christian Watson's one of those guys that can help change that, uh, especially when he goes to uh you know shrine practices and, and has uh, if he's able to have a good week there. Yeah, that gets just really, really exciting. I'm excited uh, to dig more into him as well. Um, all right, let's get into uh, one of the things I definitely wanted to hit on with you. And that's uh, looking back at an article you did a couple weeks ago over on The Athletic, your top 15 players at every position in the draft as it stands right now. And I, the goal of this exercise, I want to go outside, almost kind of what we were just talking about with Watson is, and even like with a, with a Bailey Zappi is... Let's take a look at, there are the guys that we're considering right now for like the top 100, top two or three rounds. Is there somebody outside that group that's in that in this ranking at each position that you feel could rise up? And we're not talking about this guy now, but you know, three months from now, four months from now, five months from now, we're talking about him as being a higher pick. And so, I, it's just starting a quarterback. Look, we've talked about it before the the QB boggle of this class, right? You have these top five, top six guys, most of them heading to Mobile, as we mentioned. The the order is going to get mixed up a little bit, but is there anybody outside of your top six, uh, which is Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Malik Willis, and Carson Strong, that you feel like, hey, like, don't forget about this guy? Well, it's a lot of underclassmen, so that's we're kind of waiting to see you know, who, who's going to declare, who's not. Um, I, I hope a lot of these guys go back. You know, Tanner McKee from Stanford, Brennan Armstrong, Virginia. Uh, you know, Will Levis, Kentucky. So we'll have to wait and see, but. You know, I know one underclassman quarterback who's really thinking about coming out, uh, Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan, who had, had a pretty nice season this year. Uh, he's a redshirt junior, 6'1", 215 pounds. Uh, you know, he throws a very confident football at all three levels of the field. He's got some mobility. Uh, there's, there's something to him, and I, I don't think that he's going to be a top 100 guy. But, you know, this team or this draft is really missing that that, you know, maybe besides Bailey Zappi missing that that mid round quarterback that, you know, you think, OK, there's upside there. there you know, he, just bring him in. Let's develop him, uh, you know, that has potential. Maybe maybe he could be uh, be that guy in this class if he declares. I'd like to see him go back to school and get better. But if he does end up being part of this draft class, uh, you know, Western Michigan, I mean, he has a chance to move up. I like it. That was not the uh, the direction I thought you were going to go. So I'm glad that you brought up Caleb Ellaby. Uh, Where do you think I was going to go? I, I thought, you know, because especially with what we saw early in the season from Will Levis from Kentucky, it was like, all right, is this a yeah. guy that, you know, if they, maybe we're kind of sleeping on a little bit. Um, there are a handful of guys that uh, Caleb Ellaby was not where I imagined uh, you would go. So I'm glad you brought him up. Well, well, Levis was my number seven quarterback in my ranking. So, I mean, obviously I, that, I, yeah. I am high on. Yeah. Uh, and if he does come out, I think, you know, he's a guy we will be talking about a lot more because he just, there's a lot of talent there. He just, yep. it's, it's just so raw, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'd like to see him go back. Kentucky's got something brewing there. So I'd like to see him go back and get better. 
All right, let's get to uh, running back here. And obviously, the, when you talk about those top three guys, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, kind of comparable skill sets. You and I, you, get, you gave me some uh, some guff last week. You really asked me to stack these guys. And it's interesting because um, all three of them, it's like, all right, we know that they can be those early down uh, between the tackle grinders, but what value do they bring in the pass game? Just limited exposures there. Um, but I'm interested outside of this group. Is there a guy you feel like could rise? And we're talking about uh, more once we get into that day two range, early day three. Yeah, there are a couple of these seniors uh, I, I think are, are really interesting. Uh, Rashad White from Arizona State, uh, who you know is a Kansas City kid, goes the JUCO route, goes to Arizona State, and he was an immediate weapon for them uh, the last two years. Went over 1,000 yards rushing this year, but his ability as a pass catcher, I mean, he had 43 catches. Uh, he, he led the team in receiving yards last year as a junior. So there, there's a lot to like about, uh, his ability with the ball in his hands. He's quick. He's elusive, uh, love his lateral agility. Uh, his ability to accelerate post cut is really, really impressive. Uh, and I think he has the eyes where he can find pursuit. He can set up his moves. Uh, he can force those missed tackles. And so, uh, I think he's a little more quick than explosive. But that darting run style uh, really allows him to collect his feet, find yardage, especially yardage that's not blocked for him. Uh, I think that's what he's really skilled at. So um, I think he's able to be kind of a, a guy that comes in as a backup. And then, you know, you just kind of sprinkle him in a little bit more, give him more, more playing time, whether that's as in the slot, whether that's in the backfield, and just find a role for him as an offensive weapon. And to your point, was one of the best big play threats in college football a year ago uh, as a junior. If you look at it from a pure uh, per-touch basis, uh, what he did as both a runner and a pass catcher, there was maybe no better big play threat uh, than Rashad White. So I'm glad you 40, brought him up. 44.2% of his touches at Arizona State the last two years resulted in a first down or touchdown, which That's is a awesome. ridic- anything over a third. You know, anything over 33% is pretty good. He had 44.2%, so a really good ratio for him. That's outstanding. Uh, well, let's get to the wide receiver position. Is there a guy uh, you talked about? Everybody's excited about what that top 100 could look like. Uh, when you get to day three, not so great. But is there a guy that's outside of that, you know, the top handful for you that you're like, oh, this could be a guy that we could see kind of rise up rankings but over the next couple of months? I think it's got to be Alec Pierce, the Cincinnati wide receiver, who we've talked about at length uh, before, just because, you know, he has, he's a little bit of that late bloomer. Uh, you, you love the size, uh, six, four, six, three, really six, three and a half, 208 pounds, uh, you know, the, the volleyball background and, uh, you know, his ability to high point the football, go up and win. Uh, I mean, that's what the NFL is about winning at the catch point, uh, you know, being a ball winner. And, and that's what Alec Pierce can bring. Uh, and I think he's going to run, uh, you know, better when people think he'll run in the high four fours, low four fives. Uh, and so there, there's a lot to like about Alec Pierce and what he can bring to an offense, uh, whether that's as a outside jumpers or a jump ball receiver, uh, red zone threat. Uh, I mean, he's, there's a lot that he can do. I don't think we have to, you know, kind of, uh, pigeonhole him into just one specific corner. There's a lot he can do as a receiver inside, outside. Uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's going to be a team that's really happy. They drafted him possibly top 100. Uh, if he, if his pre-draft process goes the way I think that we, we believe it could go for him. And when you talk to people around him, uh, just an outstanding kid, you know, it, it, a lot of people just rave about what he is uh, off the field. And honestly, 
falls into that same bucket that I brought up with Christian Watson, where just, there aren't a lot of guys that are that big that move that well. There is accomplished and well-rounded as him. I'm going to talk about Pierce uh, here in a little bit. Uh, let's go to the uh, the tight end position. And this is another group that's just really jumbled up and everybody's rankings are a little bit different. There's that same handful of players. Uh, Jalen Weidermeyer uh, actually officially declared for the draft uh, on Monday afternoon. So he'll be a part of this class officially, but a uh, really good senior class. Is there a guy that you feel uh, could see, could see his name kind of soar up the board a little bit here in the next couple of months? I mean, where to start with this class? I mean, it's just kind of pick your favorite. There, there's so many tight ends. It's ridiculously loaded. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of weird saying that because we might we probably won't have a first round tight end. But, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, I mean, there's going to be so many tight ends that come off the board that are, are going to have an impact in the NFL. Uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of – Cole Turner from Nevada is a guy that really intrigues me. Uh, you know, he's a former wide receiver who uh, made the, the, the switch to tight end, uh, you know, 6'6", just under 240 pounds. Uh, he's another guy, you know, talking about Alec Pierce, a ball winner. He can go up and catch the football. Uh, he's a guy that you're going to rely on at every uh, part of the field situations. He understands what he's doing out there. Uh, he's got ball skills. Uh, you know, I, I think he's he's not afraid to get physical. I mean, there's a lot to like about Cole Turner as possibly a guy that can move into that top 100 uh, because of what he can do in the passing game. And then we move over to the offensive tackle spot, another really interesting group. And I'm going to kind of cut you off after number seven on your top 15 list. So uh, Evan Neal, Ikemakwanu, Charles Cross, uh, all locks for teams through the top 10, top 15. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa uh, seems to be uh, pretty cemented in there in most round one mock drafts. Kind of looking on the outside of that first round, Bernard Raymond, Central Michigan, Daniel Falalele from Minnesota, uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere from Ohio State. After that group, is there a guy that you feel like when you look at the rest of your rankings that uh, could kind of vault himself up into that discussion? For me, I would probably say it's Max Mitchell from Louisiana. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's played left tackles, played right tackle. He's played a little bit of guard, uh, six, uh, just a hair under six, six, 300 pounds. And this is a guy who was, I think he showed up at like 240. I mean, he's put on a lot of weight. He's worked really hard. Um, you know, he's been around the program. He's got 34 inch arms. Uh, he's a light mover, keeps his feet underneath him. Uh, I think I love the most about him is how active his hands are. Uh, he does a really nice job uh, knocking away the hands of, of rushers. Um, you know, he he keeps his his feet and his hands and his eyes all on the same page. So he's able to adjust to moving targets. Um, he's not the most powerful guy. Uh, he will struggle uh, versus power in terms of sustaining. That anchor is something that uh, I worry about a little bit. Uh, that that is something that uh, you know in the NFL is going to be tougher to mask. But he's athletic. He can reestablish his hands mid block, and I think he's steadily gotten better and better. And, and so uh, even though I want to see him be a little bit more of a bully in the run game and hold up versus power better in pass pro, uh, but that's why we're talking about him as a fourth round player trying to get into the third round or you know trying to get into the top 100. I think he can do it because he has a lot of the traits that you just can't coach. You, you can try to develop them more, get them stronger, but in terms of the movements, the hand exchange, uh, where he is mentally, I, I think he's ready for the pro game. I wrote down Mike McGlinchey uh, while studying him. I, I think I said that last week on the show. Uh, I really liked my, uh, Max Mitchell while studying him. And look, he's not going to go top 10 like, like McGlinchey went, um, but uh, I do think that he's he's got starter written all over him in the NFL. How about the interior? Because uh, I, I would say that not as many people are as high on the group as a whole uh, on the interior of this offensive line. Uh, when you look at that group, is there a guy that you would categorize as a sleeper at this stage? 
Uh, I sleeper. I don't. I don't know if if any of these guys are really sleepers. I mean, maybe you know a guy like Cole Strange from Chattanooga is a is a player that uh, not a lot of people know about. So he's a little bit underrated. Um, toughness. I mean, as competitive as a blocker as you're going to find. Uh, you know, he's he, he's a guy that will come up and hit you, and once he gets you on the ground, to hit you again. Um, so he, he is a he's got dynamite uh, uh, in his hands, and he, he's not afraid to unleash it. Um, you know, he's got to show that he can do it at a higher level at the senior bowl, and that's going to be a big step for him. But you know, I think Cole Strange absolutely could be one of the top 10 interior, uh, interior offensive line prospects drafted in April. I really like uh, Luke Gedeke. And we, we, you and I have talked about him on the, on the show. Yeah. I, I, Luke Gedeke from Central Michigan. He's played right tackle opposite of Bernard Raymond. Uh, he's got some tackle guard flexibility. I, I do like him uh, projecting to the NFL as well. I think he's going to start in the NFL as a guard. Yeah. I mean, I, he has that ability and, you know, great story. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, let's go to the defensive side. Off the edge, uh, it's a loaded, loaded class. A lot of really fun names. Uh, and a lot of guys that you could envision, like, yeah, I could see this guy going top 50. Like, uh, yeah, there's a, a chance for this guy uh, sneaks in the top 60. Is there a guy that we're not necessarily talking about consensus-wise that you do feel like, hey, like, I feel really good about this guy uh, kind of making that kind of, uh, that kind of statement, that kind of jump? Uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's so many guys we could talk about here. Um, D'Angelo Malone is from Western Kentucky. You know, it's, talked about Bailey Zappi earlier. Uh, on the defensive side, uh, D'Angelo Malone's a guy that came back for another year, took advantage of that NCAA extra year of eligibility. And, you know, he got a little bit better, uh, especially versus the run. He, as a pass rusher, he brings the juice. Uh, you know, not the, not the biggest guy, 6'3", 235, 33-inch uh, arms. Uh, but you know, he finished his career with 42 straight starts. Uh, and I think he has a knack for, for getting the ball out. Uh, you know, he's able to beat you in different ways. He can do it with quickness. He he's got different, uh, hand moves. He loves that Euro step. That's his go-to move. Uh, I mean, he's one of the most, uh, productive pass rushers in school history and conference USA history as well. So D'Angelo Malone's a guy that's a little bit overlooked, but, uh, you know, he's another senior bowl guy. And, you know, I, I think when you look at all the, all the pass rushers in the senior class, Malone's, uh, I don't know, is he in the top seven, eight? I don't know, but, uh, he's a guy that could get overlooked throughout the process. And then a team is able to get him in the, you know, fifth round and is going to end up being an absolute steal. The production and the athleticism are going to catch a lot of eyes uh, for sure. So where, where he goes will be really interesting to follow. Uh, how about on the interior? And I feel like this class, not as deep as the, as the edge class, but also I would argue it's probably a little bit better than last year's class on the whole too. So it's a kind of an interesting group. Yeah. And you know, I, I love, uh, it's kind of like tight end where, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have a first round defensive tackle, probably DeMarvin Leal, uh, you know, maybe Jordan Davis, but, you know, it really, it's the depth of this class. I think Devontae Wyatt from Georgia is a really good player. Travis Jones from UConn doesn't get uh, a, enough uh, attention for the player that he is. Um, you know, I, I, a guy that's maybe not uh, in the first two rounds, but I could still see him going top 100, John Ridgway from Arkansas, who I, I've talked about before, no secret, uh, you know, how I feel about him, Illinois State transfer, who 6'5", 320, uh, he, he can line up an anchor as a nose, uh, he, he can two gap. He's got some range to him so he can chase down plays. Uh, I think John Ridgeway is going to be a, a scheme proof uh, defensive tackle is going to be an important part of a rotation in the NFL. 
So looking forward to the linebacker group, I feel like the, uh, the player that best represents what I'm talking about for this topic for me, just looking at your list would be Quay Walker from Georgia. Uh, you and I have talked about him. I've talked about him plenty, uh, here on the show the last few weeks, but, uh, he's your linebacker 10 right now. And I'm like, okay, that's the guy I can feel like by the time we get to April, uh, we're talking about him more in the, in the top three, top four, top five. Uh, of this position. Is there a guy that maybe it is Walker, but is there anybody else in that group that kind of catches your eyes? Like, yeah, like this could, this could be a guy that we're talking about a little bit higher on the next couple of months. Well, there's, there's guys that I had to leave off this top 15 that I hated leaving off. Um, You know, guys like uh, we might talk about Jojo Doman earlier, uh, Darian Beavers from Cincinnati, Terrell Bernard from Baylor, um, Mike Rose from Iowa state, Michael McFadden. This linebacker is really good. I mean, these are all guys that, uh, you know, you could make a case for being one of the top 15 linebackers in this class. And so I hated leaving them off because there's they're draftable players. They're good players. Um, I, I think one of the more intriguing guys in this class for me, uh, we don't know that he's officially going to be part of this class yet, but Leo Chanel from Wisconsin, uh, who's a junior, he's so intriguing because he's so, he might be the best run defending linebacker I've watched the last few years. Uh, at linebacker. He's so good. His contact balance, his ability to work off contact and make plays versus the run is exceptional. But what does he bring you on passing downs? Uh, does he have enough to as a blitzer? Does he have enough uh, to you know drop in coverage, play in reverse? And he just has not shown that ability in coverage at the college level. So first off, we'll see if he declares. And the second off, if he does, just trying to nail down, okay, what's his role? Is he going to be an inside backer in a three, four? Is he going to be more of an outside guy? Because, you know, that just use him as a blitzer and a guy that's going to help you for some, it's opinions are all over the place on him. I just know he's a really good player. And if he does come out, I bet you he does go top 100 because he is that good of a player. Yeah, he's a guy. I actually have not done Chanel yet. I've been waiting for him to make that uh, that decision official. Uh, so we'll see if he does decide to enter this class. Let's get to corner where everybody always seems to have a, a sleeper or two because it's such a traits heavy position uh, during the scouting process. But is there a guy uh, that stands out most to you? Like, man, like uh, this guy, maybe I just put him, I'm a little low on him right now. Like, I, I wish I could have put him a little bit higher on this list. Uh, well, you know, a guy that I, I finished his report um, a couple of weeks ago, and I think I had just a much better appreciation of what he is. Uh, and that's Cam Taylor Britt uh, mm-hmm. you know, from Nebraska. Cornhusker fans be happy with me in this uh, this podcast because uh, they the, both Doman and, and Taylor Britt are, are are pros and they're good players. And with uh, Cam Taylor Britt, he is a big athlete, six foot two hundred five. He was a high school quarterback, uh, and you know he he did play defensive back in. Uh, in high school, but you know, he goes to Nebraska and they start up at safety. And then the last two years, he's been a full-time corner. And I mean, he is, he's got natural ball instincts. Um, I think when you just look at the physical traits, size, check that box length, absolutely. Athleticism, no question. Uh, love the competitive nature. Uh, the ball skills I, I really, really jumped out at me. So I think he can play press man. He can play a zone heavy scheme. Um, I, he, th- he does a really nice job keeping his feet underneath him so he can match different types of receivers at the line of scrimmage. They didn't let him jam and press a lot in that scheme is a lot of bail and side saddle and, you know, just playing that off coverage. Uh, but when they did let him press, I thought he, he, he matched really well at the line of scrimmage. Um, and so he's got that receiver background. You see it at the catch point. 
Um, and coaches speak really highly of just the way he carries himself, uh, both as a leader and as a competitor. So um, I, I think a, a guy like Cam Taylor Britt, who has uh, the the traits and has a lot of things going for him, um, you know, he's he's a guy that starting in the third round, the teams are going to be looking at him and say, okay, we can mold this guy into a starter. I think the one of the things I love most about him, and this is you could say this about a lot of guys that are in this class. The, the guys that make position switches, whether it's from high school to college or midstream during their college career, and don't take that red shirt year, uh, especially, I mean, look, there are a lot of, of hills that uh, young players have to climb, true freshmen have to climb when they get into college. To say you're going to be a high school quarterback, and now we're going to make you a full-time corner without playing on defense in high school, uh, and for him to do that as a true freshman and start, I mean, to me, like that speaks to not just like his, uh, his athletic tools and then the physical gifts that he's got, but also from a mental toughness standpoint, a competitiveness standpoint, the ability to deal with adversity, uh, that is a tough process. And so, you know, whether you're talking about him, if you're talking about Troy Anderson, who you talked about earlier, if you're talking about Abram Smith with Baylor, uh, who played on both, you know, both ways for Baylor over the course of the last few years, you get, there's a bunch of guys in this class, guys that make that position switch without having to redshirt and red redshirting. Uh, also, that's not a, that's not a knock. That's a, that's a tough process as well for a lot of guys, especially in the middle of your career. Um, but I think that it speaks to uh, a guy's ability to kind of handle things on the fly. Uh, so a lot of credit there to Cam Taylor Britt because he, he definitely has a lot of gifts uh, and to make that kind of jump, I thought was really impressive as well. Um, let's round this out with the safety spot and safety's tough, man, because there are all the different skill sets for sure. And trying to stack these guys is next to next to impossible. You did a great job of doing it. Uh, you've seen a couple of these guys pull out Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. He's going back to school. A couple of these other guys are still kind of up in the air at this point. Uh, but is there a guy that you feel like, Hey, like we could be talking about him a little bit higher uh, on this list, but then the next time you put another uh, top 15 out. I got to go with my guy, Kirby Joseph out of Illinois, yeah. who, you know, I, I received a lot of who questions when I posted this, um, you know, you don't really think of uh, Illinois prospects uh, as being headline guys, but Kirby Joseph, uh, he's being slept on, um, you know, he and he shouldn't be when he had the season that he did he had, what five interceptions. Uh, he, he's a got a receiver background and it shows he's so fast. He covers all so much ground. He plays a lot of single high plays both sidelines and they line, they'll line him up 20, 25 yards from the line of scrimmage because they know he has the range to make up that ground, whether it's downhill versus a run or, you know, playing either sideline. Uh, when he drives on the ball, I mean, it, he gets there in a hurry. So, and then as a tackler, he does not miss tackles. He does such a good job of keeping his feet underneath them, coming to balance, uh, breaking down, and he's not the most forceful tackler. Uh, I mean, there are times where he'll wrap and he'll actually go backwards but he's making the tackle. Uh, you know, he, you can trust him out there as the last line of defense. So um, there's so much to like about when you talk about his length. He's got really long arms too. I think he's 33 inch arms. So for a guy that's six foot two hundred five to have that type of length, that says something about him as well. So um, he is a guy I know, and it's funny talking to scouts about him. They were kind of you know, the Illinois coaches apparently were kind of coy about him. Didn't really talk about him because they wanted him to go back for uh, another year. And I know they weren't very happy. Uh, when uh, when he, Kirby Joseph decided to go pro, but you know, I, I he, he needs to. Uh, when you talk about the season that he had, you talk about his traits. Kirby Joseph uh, from Illinois uh, is going to go a lot higher than I, I think where people presently look at him. Better, he's the best Illinois defensive prospect since. I mean, go like Vontae Michael da Vontae Corey, Davis. I was going to say like Corey legit and Whitney merciless. What year was Vontae Davis? He was like, uh, was he late two thousands legit? Oh, 
Yeah. Corey legit was like 2011, right? He, he went first round. Uh, I thought he said DB. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I thought you said DB. He would, I think he'd be the best DB since Vontae probably. Yeah. yeah defensive. Fair, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Merciless. That was. That yeah. Was Merciless before. was like 11 or 12, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. They, they haven't put out a lot of defensive players uh, in, in no. the draft. I mean, you would have thought that differently with Lovey Smith being there for as long as he was. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I was, I'm excited to dig deeper on him because you have spoken so highly of him uh, publicly. So I'm excited to do a little bit more of Kirby Smith here uh in the future well our uh, cover joseph rather um dane uh, this was great a fun exercise and i love when you put these rankings out i texted you, you forgot text. you forgot long snappers well uh, you i mean technically <laughs> you forgot long snappers i, I didn't that's true that's, okay, so that's uh, you. The, the public's not ready for it yet so. <laughs> uh and i, I texted you this I, to put something like this out uh in you know november december uh extremely extremely difficult uh and so i applaud you for that great piece of content make sure you go check out all of dane's work obviously uh, over at the athletic dane uh we will talk to you next week sounds good talk then now it's time to hear from you the fans in the draft mailbag Always fun to catch up with Dane. Good stuff. We'll have uh, Ben Fennell on the show later this week. He's traveling from the West Coast. So uh, just tough to try and get Ben locked in here for this episode. We'll be back with him later this week. Uh, Let's get into one of your questions at home. And a great one here from Alex of the Birds, who went on to our Apple podcast page, left a five-star review and saying, Fran, my name is Alex White. I'm a big fan. First off, thank you for all of the great content I've learned from you and your guests. Easy five-star rating. And I thought this would be a good activity. I have a positional mock draft here, just players and rounds not positions. I was hoping that you could do mock drafts of players that you think will be available around these spots. Note that I had them picking up an extra sixth round pick uh, before the draft. So Alex, it's a, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting activity. Uh, I would say personally going into it this way, it, it typically gets people in trouble uh, when you try and say, all right, in the first round, we want to do this. In the second round, we want to do this. The third round, we want to do this. Uh, not just in real life, but when, if you're going through and trying to do a mock draft, uh, whether it's you know trying to do one of, through one of these mock draft simulators, or if you want to get, even kind of uh, take out the fantasy football, that is a, a a tough strategy to make sure you execute. It's a really tough needle to thread. But that said, it does make for an interesting activity. And so uh, I'll go, I'll follow your blueprint here, and we'll just talk about a player or two that kind of fit. And first up, ten overall, uh, you want a an edge rusher, a defensive end. And I, to me, I think you look at George Karlaftis. Obviously, the the top names are likely off the board at this point uh, when you look at the and you look at Hutchinson, um, but I think when you look at George Karlaftis, uh, Trayvon Walker, I think that's where you start getting into uh, a couple of those guys there off the edge. The next pick, 11 overall, you want a defensive tackle. And I think you could factor Walker from Georgia into this list as well. I think that both guys, um, both he and DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M, I think with both of them, uh, you kind of have that DND tackle hybrid. We know that the Eagles uh, like to have multiple fronts with their defense. So players that with that skill set, I think would be really valuable. So you look at a Walker, you look at a Leal. I think those are the kind of players you're talking towards the back end of the top half of the first round, right? So you get into, you know, 10 through 15. I think that's where you're kind of talking through those players. Safety at 19th overall. This can get a little bit tricky. Look, I think when uh, you look at the safety position, Jalen Catalan from Arkansas is a player preseason. I would have pegged in for around this area. He is going back to school after an injury uh, that caused him to miss the second half of the season. So, you know, after Kyle Hamilton and this safety group, I don't know that there's definitely a lock in that area of the draft. I would say that some people believe Daxton Hill from Michigan could see his way up there. I haven't personally done enough work on Daxton Hill 
to say with confidence that uh, he belongs in the back end of the first round, but that would be a player that I would have earmarked as a potential there in that area of the draft. You get to the second round, you're looking at linebacker. Uh, this linebacker group is really strong. You know, we've talked about it a lot here on the show about how this is a really good group of linebackers at the top of the draft. So if you're talking first couple of rounds, you know, you get into a Christian Harris from Alabama, obviously Devin Lloyd from Utah, uh, a lot of really interesting players, N'Kobe Dean, right? And these are all complementary skill sets. If Christian Harris is there, I think you look at Quay Walker from, from, from Georgia. He's a player we talked about last week on the show with Jim Nagy. I kind of uh, poured out my thoughts on Quay Walker and why I think he's a little bit underrated at this point in the process. Chad Muma from Wyoming, I think, shares a lot of those same qualities as Quay Walker. Uh, Henry Toyo, Toyo, Toyo from Alabama. Uh, he's a three-year starter in the SEC. Started his career at Tennessee. Uh, transferred to Alabama this summer and uh, has really kind of kept his career going. I and mean, he's a, a, a tackle collector inside. He does a good job playing through contact. So I think when you look at uh, Toyo Toyo, you get to Chad Muma, uh, Christian Harris at the top of that list, Quay Walker at the top of that list. I think you look at a number of different options there at linebacker in the second round. You get the third round and you're looking for a corner. I think this is an interesting spot for corner. This is a good cornerback class in my opinion. I think you look at uh, the depth when you get to round two, round three, round four, there are a number of names. I earmarked one here, and that's Damari Mathis, the corner from Pitt. He's going to the Senior Bowl. He did not play a year ago. He, uh, he had an injury back in the summer of 2020, so uh, missed all of the 2020 season, came back this year, started every game. And I think when you look at Mathis at 5'11", 195, he's really disruptive. He's really aggressive. I think he's going to test pretty well at the combine. I think he'll run pretty well, but I love his competitiveness. Uh, the, the ball production is a little bit up and down. He can get a little bit grabby as well, but I think when you look at uh, this kid, the way that he plays, just a really competitive play style. Uh, and I think that that's something that carries over from college to the NFL. Fourth round. You've got an offensive line. You just left an OL. So I think you look at Cordell Volson from North Dakota State. And what you like most about Cordell Volson, that versatility. We know that's something that the Eagles value, right, is that ability to play not just one position, but be able to fill in at a couple different spots. And I think that, that when you look at Cordell Volson at 6'7", 313, uh, he has played extensive reps at both tackle spots, both guard spots, and he has switched positions and sides mid-drive at times. And so the ability to say, okay, I'm going to play left tackle. Now I'm going to go play right guard. All right, I'm playing right tackle now. Now I'm going to go play left guard. That versatility to play with both hands and both inside and outside, uh, that is invaluable moving into the NFL draft process for Cordell Volson. So fourth round, we'll look there. Uh, let's go now to Alec Pierce. Then you, we wanted fifth round wide receiver. I earmarked Alec Pierce. This is a guy I studied uh, last week for the very first time. And I think when you look at Alec Pierce, uh, there is a lot to like. I think from a, a profile standpoint, Kind of similar, I think you'll hear a lot of the same things that we heard about Matt Hollins when he was coming out of North Carolina a few years ago. He's 6'3", he's 213 pounds, so he's a little bit thicker than Matt Hollins, but he's got that same verticality. He can be a, a, a downfield threat at times. He's been a core special teamer at times throughout his career. He's a good blocker. He's tall with a big frame. I mentioned the size there. Um, he can get a little bit better as a route runner. Uh, he's been a jump ball threat. I mentioned that what he can do downfield. So he could do a little bit of everything, and he does the dirty work. And I, So I think you look at Alec Pierce, fifth round. I think that makes a lot of sense. You wanted a receiver there. At, at the, Also, staying in the fifth round, you wanted a safety. And when you get to the safety spot uh, in the fifth round, there are some guys that will fall because safety, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, kind of the beauty in the eye of the beholder. And so uh, there may be some talented players that fall to day three because maybe they don't fit for a handful of schemes, but hey, they fit our scheme really, really well. And you're all 32 teams can say that. So you look at a Bubba Bolden coming out of Miami, 6'3", 204 pounds, 
The talent is undeniable. Uh, this is a guy who started his career at USC, was a big-time recruit, transferred back east uh, to go to Miami, and he is a really good athlete. He's really smooth, fluid. He's rangy. He can play in the post. He just needs to get, get a little bit more consistent in his ability to key and diagnose and then also to be able to uh, finish as a tackler. That's an issue that has plagued him throughout the course of his career. He's also had injury problems as well, so I think when you look at Bolden, that would be why he would fall to the fifth round of the NFL draft, but someone to keep in mind, but someone to keep in mind there uh, when you get to that stage on day three. Uh, also in the fifth round, you wanted a linebacker. So I looked around and said, who are some guys that were middle of day three that would make some sense? And I settled in on Iowa State's Mike Rose. And the reason why I looked at Mike Rose is that uh, this is a guy that has done a little bit of everything for that Cyclones defense. He's 6'4", 250, okay? So he's played off the edge, but he's also lined up in the slot. He's lined up stacked. He's done a lot of different things. He's got good size. He's a four-year starter on defense. He hasn't played a ton of special teams, but I think he has got the, that that profile to be able to, to be a, a core special teamer for an, for an NFL team moving forward. He's been really productive in coverage, uh, constantly around the football. He's a good blitzer. So I think when you talk about his versatile skill set, I think he projects well as a strong side linebacker in the NFL. Is he going to be a consistently impactful player on defense? I don't know that I would say, oh, this guy's going to be a uh, every down, three down player. He's a starter, plug and play. I don't know that you necessarily say that about Mike Rose, but he does a little bit of everything. And he also can profile as a special teams player. When you get to that point in the draft, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you would say the same thing about the sixth round choice here. Uh, and you wanted a running back uh, with that sixth round pick. And so I'm looking at Abram Smith, the running back from Baylor. And this is a guy that has been a banger downhill for the Baylor Bears here this season in 2021. It was a primarily outside zone stretch scheme. He did a lot of their inside runs, though. So anything worth him downhill, that's where he's been at his best. He's been a special teamer throughout his career. He played a little bit of linebacker uh, as well the last couple of years. He started games for them on the defensive side of the football. So uh, the toughness is absolutely there with Abram Smith. I love the downhill mentality with him in the run game. A lot of the same things you see from Jordan Howard in this current iteration of the Eagles offense, I think you would see from an Abram Smith. So keep an eye on him there uh, on day three. And then your last position that you wanted covered uh, was a quarterback. Uh, and I, when you get to the sixth round, a quarterback, obviously uh, the well dries up a little bit. Let's go back to Iowa State, though, and talk through Brock Purdy. And this is a guy that has played a lot of football out there for Iowa State, a four-year starter at 6'1", 212 pounds, uh, lined up all in the shotgun. He's a little, Obviously, he's undersized. I, don't, I wouldn't call him a plus athlete, um, but this is a guy who has been accurate uh, really at all levels of the field. I, I like his touch. His, his pocket mechanics can get a little bit better. Here's what I like about Brock Purdy. Uh, he is not just a, um, a guy that's just going to take only the check downs and, and that's it. He's got a little bit of gunslinger to him. And so that is sometimes that's worked against him, right? So he's turned the ball over uh, at times a little bit more than you would like. He threw nine picks a year ago. He threw nine picks the year before, even when they were uh, extremely, extremely productive there at Iowa State. But I think this is a guy that he's played with accuracy. He knows how to manage the pocket. He does some good things. I think when you get to a little bit later in the draft, I think that gamer, uh, that gamer profile is someone that can typically tr project pretty well uh, to the NFL as a future backup. So Brock Purdy, uh, a guy that's played a, a ton of ball out there for Matt Campbell and Iowa State. That's where I settled in there. So it is a fun exercise. Like I mentioned, uh, we were able to hit through a bunch of different players, but that would not be the strategy that I would recommend uh, for anybody, whether it would be for an NFL team or for uh, anybody at home. They'd say, okay, we're going to go in. Here are the positions I want to hit at every single stage of the NFL draft, but uh, good stuff there, Alex. Really appreciate the comment. Really appreciate the five-star review. Thanks to him, and thanks to all of you out there for your support here of this show. We will be back 
later this week. Obviously a weird week for the Eagles with the game getting postponed from Sunday to Tuesday. But we'll be back later this week getting you ready for the next bowl games, uh, next slate of bowl games coming up this weekend. We're going to cover it all right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.